Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. On this week's podcast, we are interviewing Anthony Rivera, who Stacy and I both met probably about four or five years ago at Opera Santa Barbara. Uh, we were doing Madame Butterfly, and Anthony was in the chorus. And I think that's where you met Darlene as well. Mm-hmm. And he lived down in L.A. area, and so Darlene started bringing him into Long Beach opera shows. And that's how I've gotten to know him. And Anthony is currently in Omaha with me working on Proving Up. So Anthony started out as a singer, a tenor, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he got his bachelor's degree and master's degree from University UC Northridge. You see uh, Cal State. Yeah, Cal State. Cal State, State Northridge. <laughs> one of the California ones. Um, so, Anthony, how did you go from being a, I mean, you still sing, but what kind of what was your progression? Were you always a singer? Were you always into performance? Or how did you go from getting a degree in singing, being a tenor, to now working on Proving Up, which is the new Missy Mazzoli piece? So, the way that worked, I was not always a singer. I was actually super duper shy as a child. Oh. And then, in high school, when I first moved to California in my junior year of high school, I told myself I'm not going to finish high school in a new place without any friends. You're like, I have to, <laughs> I have to make friends. Exactly. So uh, people had always told me, you should be an actor. You're so funny. So I got into the theater program. They originally put me in ceramics because there were no spots open in theater. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then I... I left the ceramics class and said I had to go to the bathroom. I went to the office and I said, you have to take me out of ceramics. Please take me out of ceramics. <laughs> what, you just couldn't do ceramics? No, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Not because you were bad at it or you just didn't want to be there? I just didn't want to be there. I knew that I didn't care for it. And I knew that there were people that felt strongly about creating ceramic objects. And that was not me. <laughs> so I went there and by some twist of fate, they said, I had a student that just left my office that dropped theater, so there is now a space for you to join theater. He really uh, wants ceramics. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did want ceramics. <laughs> so I got into theater, and then I auditioned for a musical, and they thought that I could sing. And I said, ha, 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 joke's on you. I've never <laughs> sang before, and you think I can sing. But then it just worked out. And then when I got into college... I thought, let me just dabble in singing, and I did choir, uh, but I was actually a linguistics major, oh. so I was focusing on learning Spanish, but then I wanted- Which I, can totally come in handy for a singer. True story. But then I decided, I want to do music, I want to act, and I want I want to do languages, so what can I do? And then I discovered being a vocal performance major. Doing opera. Doing opera. So then I switched my major into music. And started. I moved to Southern California and I started studying music. And then I got to do acting and singing and languages. Uh, and then luckily, my teacher became the new um, chorus master for Opera Santa Barbara. And he said, hey, we need more tenors for oh. La Boheme. We can't pay you, but it'll be a great experience. And that's what you never want to hear once you become a <laughs> professional singer. Is, right. You can get experience, but we're not giving, but you, we're any not giving money. you any money. <laughs> but it turned out to be the best decision I ever made doing that show because I think 
Madama Butterfly was, I think, the third show I did with Opera Santa Barbara. So from that first show, they kept bringing me back. They kept giving me contracts to sing with them. And then that's when I met you and I met Darlene and I met Stacy and also Angela. Angela right, Fong. Fong, yeah. So I met that whole group on Madame Butterfly. Butterfly. And I think it was Darlene that said, you're a really smart actor and I like working with you on stage. Do you want to come work with all of us at Long Beach Opera? <laughs> and I said, sure, why not? <laughs> I didn't know anything about it, so I did. And then from there, I just expressed interest because I, I'm curious. I'm the type of person that likes to just learn. So yes, by trade, I am a singer, but I, my mind is so open to learning new things. And so once I had the opportunity, they're like, oh, so I heard you were interested in stage management. I said, yes, that is very true. So Darlene said, awesome. Let me bring you on the next show and we're going to make you a stage management apprentice. And then from there, I just kept, she kept bringing me back to give me the opportunity to train as a stage manager. So the way the transition worked is I was a singer first, but you guys all took notice that I was a smart actor on stage. And then that transitioned to, I think you would make a great stage manager. And then I was given the opportunity to fine tune my skills on stage management. And apparently it went very well. Because now here you are in Omaha. Because now here I am <laughs> in my first out-of-state gig, one of the biggest contracts I've ever had um, as an assistant or as a production assistant. But they keep uh, putting me on different concerts as a stage manager. That was a very long story. No, but that's, that is no. Half Sometimes, time, like, what do you, how did you get to stage or how did you get to theater? It goes on for like half an hour because, <laughs> you know, like people just, it's amazing how people actually get to where they are. You know, very few people are like, well, I've been doing this my whole life. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I did this and I did this and this was my major. And then I, I ended up here. Yeah. Two questions for that. One, what was the first, what was the musical you first auditioned for in high school? So <laughs> the first uh, musical I auditioned for was actually Peter Pan. Nice. Um, and I, I didn't get a good role in that, but I did get a role that had a name. So I wasn't like pirate number four. I was called <laughs> Noodler. And I, so my name was Noodler and I actually had a line. So that was my first experience auditioning, but it was actually my senior year um, at high school. In high school, I auditioned for Once Upon a Mattress. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I got the role of Sir Harry, which is known as like the singing role of the show. It wasn't the lead, but it was like the big singing male lead. That's, that's <laughs> awesome for... Yeah, from one line to singing male lead. Yeah. <laughs> I also did have a lot of things that led up to that that were just very fateful moments. Um, there was actually a senior that he wasn't getting good grades, and so he had to drop from one of the lead roles. And because of that, he had seen me in the theater classes. And so when the entire theater committee got together with all of the basically elders of the mm -hmm. theater department, mm -hmm. they were all saying, oh, let's put this person or this person or this person in the role because they've been here for so long. And he stood up and said, hey, I've noticed that Anthony is really good in the theater classes. I think we should give him a chance. And because of that, they were all like, no, we're not going to do it. He, he's only been here for a year. 
but he fought for it. And because of him, I got to replace him in the lead role from that. That's where they were like, okay, now we should take this guy seriously. I think he's going to do well. And so that was really the beginning of me actually getting bigger roles. I feel like that's kind of what you just said about Santa Barbara, where like people just started noticing you because you were on time and you knew what you were doing and like you knew <laughs> yeah. where your props were. And you Yeah, know. exactly. You could be like, oh, give it to Anthony. He'll make sure that actor gets his props when he comes off stage or tell Anthony to be the first one on stage. At least then they're going to enter on time. Yeah, right. we definitely right. noticed that stuff backstage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or people would be like, oh, Anthony's always on time. I think... I think it's because he's getting a music degree. He knows how to read music. We should just let him do this. Because <laughs> he showed up on time. So Yeah, he showed up on time, so he knows how to read a schedule. <laughs> Dude, showing up on time and being friendly gets most of the attention. If you're always late, then I'm like, okay, well, it's only 5.30. He's going to be here in 20 minutes. No reason to start now. Yeah. So then what led to, how did you get the job in Omaha? So the job in Omaha, that's uh, because because I was doing so many stage management jobs, people were like, oh, are you part of this Facebook group? And I said, no, what is that? And they're like, oh, yeah, they have two stage manager groups that you should be a part of. I'll add you. One was Los Angeles Stage Managers. The right. other one is Stage Management Jobs in Opera. So the reason that I came over here to Omaha is because there was an individual that normally works with Opera Omaha, and they got word that they frantically were searching for a new production assistant to work on the show Proving Up out here, and they had exhausted all of their resources in Omaha for that position, or for positions in the festival. And <laughs> we, like, I feel like half of Omaha is on this festival. Exactly. <laughs> so because they had no more options in Omaha, she reached out uh, to one of the stage manager groups on Facebook and said, hey, we need a PA. Here are the details. And at the time, I was unemployed and I had nothing coming up. So I just sent a resume and I was actually working on a show with Stacy um, because she needed help on The Little Mermaid. And yep. <laughs> so I got that job through Stacy, and then I heard of this other job in Omaha, so I sent in all of my materials. That was on, I think it was on a Thursday, I sent in my resume to her. Friday morning, she forwarded my resume to two important individuals with Opera Omaha. <laughs> Friday night, I had a contract. Um, Saturday morning, I had a flight that was leaving Sunday night. Sunday, After strike of the show, we were closing. Right? Yes. So I was supposed to catch a flight immediately after strike of the show that I was working on with Stacy. And uh, I just went directly from the show to LAX and then flew to <laughs> Omaha. And yeah. And now here we are. In, in and now here we are. And then I found out that Cindy was working a show. Stacy said, oh, no way. Cindy's working a show in Omaha. I'm like, oh, my gosh, which one? And then, of course, Everybody I was like, I have no idea. Let me text her. <laughs> Everybody wants to do Proving Up. And then, like, here Anthony is getting Proving Up. I just feel like everything that has happened in my life was, it was all fate. Yeah. I feel like that's what most people talk about. Yeah, because... Or being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I just happened to transfer to a community college in Southern California and get assigned to a teacher who was new to the school, and he just took over the entire opera program. 
But then he also just got hired as the um, chorus master at Opera Santa Barbara. And then I just happened to get on a show that had an entire stage management team that took notice of me and took me to another company because they were all working for another company. And then they added me to a Facebook group. And then here I am. In Omaha. <laughs> in Omaha. But I mean, it's the I keep biggest... saying that, but I love Omaha. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I really like it here. You don't think very much when you say, oh, yeah, I'm doing a show in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> you don't think very much of it, but the entire time I've been here, it's just been, it's, this is the biggest contract I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge company. I never thought that Omaha would have a huge opera scene. Mm-hmm. And being here, I'm like, whoa. Well, <laughs> what's, because you've never done, this is your first festival. This is my first festival, yes. So, first of all, tell us about Proving Up, because it's, the the piece Proving Up was commissioned by Opera Omaha, I believe. I mean, mm-hmm. you know more about it than me. It was commissioned mm-hmm. by Opera Omaha for Missy Mazzoli and Royce... Vavrick. Vavrick, to write a piece based on Omaha, Nebraska. Well, it was actually based on a short story called Proving Up. Right, but it's like in this area. Yeah, yeah which is why it was commissioned by Omaha. So you've actually had Missy and Royce with you in rehearsal the entire time from mm-hmm. day one. Yeah. How has that been? Have you ever had that experience before? I have personally never had that experience. Having the actual composer of the music and the lyricist there, the librettist there in the performance space, for me it was not as nerve wracking as it was for the performers. <laughs> because, oh man, that is scary when you sing a piece and all of a sudden the person who wrote the piece who knows every detail about what you're singing who knows the true meaning behind why they chose for you to sing a b flat instead of a b <laughs> is there paying attention judging to what you. you're doing <laughs> judging you uh and then you have the librettist there royce Vavrick, and he knows every word and if you're flubbing any of the words he knows because he wrote it <laughs> so for me it was just it was a wonderful experience because the people who wrote it, the people who know every detail about what you're singing and what you're doing, and they know exactly what was meant by what was written, they're going to tell you. And so it makes your performance so much more honest Mm -hmm. and so much more detailed. Whereas if you're singing Mozart, I mean, in music history, it's like, I think Mozart meant this, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. For all we know, Mozart could have, accidentally scribbled that note and you don't really know if he meant to put that in there. And there are always questions about why they, why composers made certain decisions, but having Missy there and having voice there, they can tell you if you sing something and you have a question, I'm just wondering why you chose to write this line instead of this, because normally in opera doing a descending line means this, whereas you did an ascending line. Why did you do that? And she gives you immediate feedback because she wrote it. So it's also it's been cool to know that they they do do things for a reason. I always have the argument that when you're in like a literature class and, you know, the hat is red because the author meant that they were doing something. And I'm like, maybe they just like the color red. <laughs> you never know. Exactly. The One of the big examples that I, I it's a very funny story, but uh, we were in a world history or world civilizations class and a friend and I took the class together and we had a big laugh about it. But the man who was teaching, he actually wrote the books that we were using. 
And so we were, <laughs> we were talking about these big pillars that were found in ancient Mesopotamia. And he said, historians believe that these meant this. And we actually wrote a really funny note to each other. And uh, we said, for all we know, these were ancient stripper poles. And he doesn't know any better. But that, yeah. I mean, I know that's a funny story. But, but it could but be. Exactly. It could have totally been. been that. You're just assuming, you're making an educated guess. But for all we know, your educated guess could be false. Yep. And so that's what a lot of singing music that was written hundreds of years ago can be. And so having the composer here, you don't have, if you have a question, it can be answered right here, right now. And you know, and as a performer, that makes the performance so much more exciting because you're not just coaching the role based on what people assume the composer meant. You're coaching the role based on the composer telling you what it is. Well, and you're not learning the role based on like what you've heard 20 other tenor sing exactly you know it's like it's a brand new piece and they're actually you're actually they're actually recording the show tomorrow morning tomorrow morning at 10 a.m they're actually recording the show so it'll be available cd probably on spotify Spotify. yeah so you know wow that's really really cool really awesome i mean how often do you get to do an original recording of a piece right exactly and especially for me this is my first so not very many people get to do that, and I'm very happy that <laughs> you got this opportunity. Yeah, like, so early on. Yeah, yeah. How has it been working with other stage managers? Because I feel like you worked with like me and Darlene and Angela kind of exclusively for a while, or you know, a few other stage managers in Long Beach. But you came out here not knowing anybody on the stage management team. Yes. Uh, now the thing with that is that I did work mostly with you and Angela and Darlene. But, I mean, being in shows, you get to meet. You meet other people, Yeah, right? you meet a lot of different people. So I did get to meet a lot of different stage managers. And I'm a very personable person. I like people. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about getting a free education from other people. So if you have an opportunity to learn something from somebody you've never met, that's literally a free education. Yeah. Oh, I totally went to Medea's in tech right now. And I don't have anything else going on, so I keep going over to Medea Tech just to see, like, what is their assistant director doing? What is their stage management doing? What are the ASMs doing backstage? And I'm just observing. And everyone's like, isn't today your day off? I'm like, but how often do I get to observe a whole other production team during tech? Like that never happens. Yeah, when you're so, in tech, you're so focused on what you have to do that you're not really paying attention as long as everyone else is doing their job or not doing their job, then that's what you're looking at, not the overall scope of what goes on backstage. Yeah. So yeah, and that's something that a lot of performers do not realize is that you can look at what other people are doing and learn something. So there are some performers, not all, but I'm just saying there are some performers that do not look up. They don't realize that there's so Mm. much more going on around you and they don't pay attention to it because they're more focused on, I am hired to do this job and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, which that's also a very good trait to have. Like you are hired to do this job and you're going to do this job and you're going to completely just knock it out of the park. But then there are other people that are more observant. And I think that's, that's what people took notice of me as a performer is that I wasn't just in performer mode. I was very attentive. I was paying attention to things that were going on around me and that kind of made me appreciate more mm-hmm. the jobs that other people around me had to do. Because when you first met me, that was only my third show. 
So I was still very fresh to the professional performance world. And getting to watch you guys work, I took notice of that. And then you guys took notice of me taking notice. (laughs) And then that's when I started, you know, I just, any job I do, I pay attention to what everybody else is doing because it makes me a more valuable asset Mm -hmm. to a team. Because if I only know how to do one job, that's cool. I'm a great candidate for one job. But if you... If you are a great candidate for one job, but you have extra skills that correlate to other positions, that makes you even more valuable. And so I took notice of that. And that's when I decided I want, I just want to know how to do it all. Mm -hmm. I didn't just want to be a performer. I have an opportunity. Let me take it because you never know. What if your voice goes out? What if you, as a tenor, it happens to a lot of people, you're a tenor and you decide you want to sing bigger rep than what you're actually prepared for and you blow out your voice, what do you have to fall back on? Right. If you can't sing and that's all you've been doing for the past 12 years. Yeah. And that scares me. I'm always the type of person that wants to be prepared for any situation. So granted I am still singing, but stage management is what's paying the bills at this point. Mm. And I'd much rather be doing this than working a desk job, which I did yeah, we were talking about you were interviewing for the desk job at the beginning of Little Mermaid. Now, granted, Little Mermaid was only like a week long. So like the yeah. first day of Little Mermaid, Anthony's like, I interviewed for this desk job, but I'm not sure. Now I'm backstage again and I want to do that. Then like two days later, he's like, I think I'm going to get the desk job. And two days later, he's like, I'm flying to Omaha. I was like, whoa, 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 exactly. what? <laughs> yeah, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, I had my interview for the desk job and I said, I think I'm going to get it because I got a referral from somebody. And it's going to pay so well, and I don't really want to do it, but I'm good at the job. Yeah, you're like, they have a gym, and I can get free gym membership. (laughs) And I'm so excited about that because... Um, We have a free gym here, and I think he's used it twice. Very true. (laughs) (laughs) But I got that that interview for the desk job, and I I knew I was a shoo-in for the job. And then the Opera Omaha production assistant position became available and I sent in all my information and I said, you know, let's just see what happens. And they said, Oh, for this desk job, we'll get back to you at this point. And they didn't, they didn't get back to me. And Opera Omaha said, great. We love your resume. We think you'd be a great fit for this position. Here's your contract. Sign it. You're going on a plane in 48 hours. Yeah. They're like, you're going on a plane in 48 hours. As soon as you're done closing this other, other show in LA, And I actually got an email maybe a week into me being here in Omaha from the desk job saying that, that I am well qualified for the position, but they do not want to offer me the specific position that was available. And the people who referred me for that job, who work in that company, they said the only reason that I would not have got that job was because they knew that I was a performer and they have dealt with a lot of performers in the past. It's like leaving. Yeah. So a lot of performers that get into a desk job will typically leave within a year. Right. Which is, it's very accurate because if this opportunity were to have come up within a year of me getting that job, you would have taken it. I would have taken it because it's, it's something I want to do. Granted, I want to be on stage more than I want to be in stage management. But if I'm good at a job and it still brings me enjoyment I'm not going to turn it down. I love performing, but like being a performer is the ultimate goal. 
But working in the performance world, working in theater in general, that's a more consistent goal that I can work for because I absolutely love creating. I love working and I, I also love organization. <laughs> so being a stage manager or being a production assistant or assistant stage manager, there's a lot of organization. You have to remain organized. You have to make sure that things go the way that, that they're supposed to go. And if it's not going the way it's supposed to go, you have to anticipate any possible scenario that can happen and take care of it. And that's just, that's like a superpower. It is. It's totally yeah. a superpower. And that's the way I think of it. Being a stage manager, you are literally a superhero because you have <laughs> to have all of these abilities that people don't normally have yeah. because you have to be able to, you have to have premonitions of things that can you happen have to, and fix it. You have to like be in the moment and work with the moment and also be like 20 minutes ahead. And 20 minutes behind and as well because you have to be taking notes of things that have happened. Oh, you have to pay point, attention to things that are happening. You have to pay attention to things that could happen. Good point. So you yeah. literally have to be everywhere in stage management because, yeah, people say you always have to be present. As a performer, you always have to be present. Never live in the past. Always be in the moment, and that creates a better performance. But as a stage manager, you have to be in the past, the present, and the future. Superpower. Good point. I think we should about this you should I like because it. it's very true stage management superpowers <laughs> yeah time travel you were talking about that and i totally thought about a question to ask and then i lost it i'm so sorry we're, we're oh. so excited about time travel <laughs> i was excited about time travel yes no. my favorite my favorite doctor from doctor who is david Tennant. <laughs> he's a good so, one <laughs> yeah he is a pretty good one he needs. They need to do a show in a theater. Just imagine what kind of weird thing can happen backstage or in the dark, or an actor's really an alien. I think we need to call the Doctor Who people. That Plus, would be just brilliant. See, make it yeah, happen. Let's perfect. all collectively make it happen. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask, as a singer, do you find a lot of the stuff you learned as a singer coming in handy as a stage manager? Yes. Because I feel like there are stage managers that don't fully comprehend the mindset of a performer or a mm -hmm. singer. And so there will be situations where there are miscommunications because a singer is going through one thing and a stage manager has a job to do. And they go to this singer in a specific manner that normally happens and the singer will react in a different way than normal. And so I feel like being a singer going into stage management, it has helped a lot because I know the mindset that a lot of singers are in because I've been there. And I do read people very well, normally, normally, not always, but I can normally, <laughs> read, but I can normally read people very well. And that tells me how I need to approach a person. Mm hmm. That's another superpower, I think, of stage managers. Yeah. Like, if you can't do that, you're not a very good stage manager. Yeah. If you think that this is how I've always done it, this is how I'm going to do it in and, and every situation, that's not always going to work. You have to know how to communicate with people. And I feel like being, having been in the position of a singer, knowing what they go through, knowing what, what I would think in certain situations, as a stage manager, I can be aware of what they're going through. And think back in my time, oh, this is what they're going through. This is how I felt when I went through that. 
let me think of how I would want to be approached in this situation. Do you use it also to think about like their costumes and props and stuff? Oh, definitely. Because the big thing with your piece right now is there's dirt on stage. <laughs> like the entire stage is just dirt. Oh my yes. God. I bet that is great it's, for costumes and everybody. Yeah, Microphones. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a 70 foot, 72 foot long stage. It's a runway. And there is um, about three, three inches of dirt on the entire runway. And that was an wow. issue for me from the beginning. Because once I heard the music, I thought to myself, that is hard music. And they're going to be walking on dry dirt the entire time. So having that perspective of a performer going into stage management, of course my mind is racing and I'm thinking of all the possibilities of things that could happen. Mm-hmm. Like if the, if the dirt is too dry, it's going to be kicking up dust and... Michael Slattery is in there singing super high notes. Like rolling around in the dirt. Then rolling singing, around in the singing. dirt. He's literally rolling around in the dirt. They all get so dirty. And coming from the performance perspective, I thought about that. Uh, because I would be insanely upset if I'm trying to go for a high note and I take a deep breath, a deep low breath full of dust. <laughs> yeah. And I would be very, very upset. So taking my experiences as a performer going into stage management as far as anything like props or the scenery goes, yeah, that has definitely come into play. And I'm very protective of all of my actors. Mm -hmm. Granted, I'm only, I say I'm only the production assistant, but I do a lot. As everybody in this world knows, doesn't matter what your title is, you're going to do a lot. Whether or not it's covered under your actual job job description or not. Yes, that's true. And um, I'm very protective of them because I come from that side of performance. And I just try to think of anything that could happen and I try to take care of them. And I think that really builds trust if, if the actors know, oh, you've been there. Or even if you identify a problem before they come to you about it, mm-hmm. they, they have so much trust and faith that they will be taken care of. And it just makes the whole process so much smoother because they know Mm -hmm. that if there's any trouble, they are taken care of. I'm not saying that if you don't come from the performance side going into stage management that you're not going to be aware of that. But I think that it gives me a heightened perception of those ideas. Yeah, I mean, I, I... I try to think of it, but only because I've had to think of it for years. But, you know, Mm -hmm. when I first started out, I have to admit, I didn't, you know, I thought about them, but I didn't think about them like I do now. Mm -hmm. You know, 12 years ago, I wouldn't have thought about the sand that they poured on our stage or that there's dust in the air or that I need a mister. Now it's just like second nature because I know now being around them for so long, but I feel like you have a huge step up because, you know. It didn't take you 10 years to learn that. Like, it took me to learn. You just knew it from day one, which is super helpful. But also, uh, I mean, that's dealing with actors and all, but you also, because you're a singer, you obviously know how to read the music, and you know how to read the score, and you know how to listen to the music, which I think also helps because I know when Cindy calls shows, especially operas, she bases it almost completely on music and what the conductor's doing. Like she can read a conductor as well as any musician. So you also had the advantage there because you know when the conductor's saying to breathe or to hit a note or to extend something or 
anything like that because you already are used to watching the conductor and know all of the hand movements and know how to, you know, this chord is, or not chord, this um, line is going to repeat three times, but you don't have to be told that, you read it. So that's, I think, also something that a lot of stage managers, not in the opera world, we just, they don't have to know that. And it's a different uh, approach to stage management on the opera side than everybody else. Well, everyone else, the non-opera singer sides. Yeah, and it was funny when when I came into doing stage management, I thought that that's how you were supposed to do it. But then because I came into stage management not having any experience and I was being trained by other people, they were like, oh, you have to do this and you have to do this. Like, oh, while we're listening to the music, I need you to do 15-second timings and 30-second timings or 10-second timings. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what is the purpose of that? If we just know how long it is, it's fine. They're like, no, we need that because we can base our cues off of that as well. So it was very interesting going into it and knowing that I'm just going to read the music and I'm going to pay attention to where they're singing, where the conductor is at. I'm going to follow along with the music. And then I found out you can also time it. And now that has come in very handy in this show and proving up because there is a prop gun involved in this show. And at the beginning of the show, I'm throwing cues, paying attention to the music. And then once all of the actors are on stage, there are no more cues for me to throw until later on. And so I think I have about maybe 45 minutes before I have to throw another cue. But in that 45 minutes, I have to go and um, load up a prop gun and I have to clean it. I have to load it. I have to make sure it's working. And then I also have to gather all of the other props that the, the final actor that enters has to have. And um, being able to or I have to step out of the room and it's not a traditional space. So once I step away from the actual stage area, I can't hear a thing. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm paying attention to the timing of when we started to where I am now, then I can go back into the music and think, okay, so it's been 30 minutes. Let me go to my 30 minute timing in the music. And then I don't have to worry about, let me sit here for five minutes. Figuring and figure out, out where we are. In yeah, figure out where they are, especially yeah. because they repeat a lot of stuff in this show. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. they're singing the same words and I'm like, okay, now what time are they singing this at this point? So that has come I feel in like handy. the whole like, first eight minutes of the show is just like the same two lines over and over. The first eight minutes, they literally just say the Homestead Act yeah. of 1862. <laughs> I mean, so, it's really gorgeous, but it's just yeah. the same words over and over. I, I did not show any any flourishes in that. That was that was very basic. <laughs> oh, yeah. come on. You're an opera singer, and that's what we get from you. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he was in a stage manager mode at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely a, an interesting perspective getting that. So reading music... I didn't realize that it wasn't a requirement of opera stage managers. No, isn't that so weird? It's very weird to me. I don't, I'm like, how do you call a show if you can't read the music? I don't. And, and that was my question. Yeah. How do you do this when you can't read music? But I've seen so many people do it and so successfully. Hmm. So I know that there are other methods. And also in getting more professional jobs in stage management, Sometimes I didn't feel qualified for it, but I knew that it was an opportunity to prove that I can do it. It's not necessarily that I had to know beforehand how to do it, 
but it was an opportunity to show that I can learn how to do it. Yeah. I think and that's a big one in all fields. I rarely know exactly what I'm doing when I step into anything because you don't know what the set's going to be and you don't know exactly what the space might be and you don't know exactly what might change during the process. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a TD. Sure, I'll figure out how to do allegiance. Why not? <laughs> and I would not have had the opportunity to work with you on Little Mermaid if I were in the mindset of, oh, I don't know how to do it. And I even told you, I did I don't know how to do that job. I don't and I know said, it. yeah, I said, you're going to pull the rail and you're going to move prop pieces around. You know how yeah. to do that. Go. <laughs> so, so you had asked me if I wanted, well, you gave me the basic job description. I was like, well, I don't exactly know how to do it, but I can learn how to do it if that's okay. And you said, yeah, that would be fine. And then you gave me a decision of whether or not I wanted to just be on deck crew or if I wanted to be on flight crew. And I thought to myself, and I even discussed this with my husband, I said, I don't know how to fly people. Yeah, it was I, ZFX it, flying, training, all of that. Yeah, and I said, I cannot do that because I've never done it. I'm just going to tell her I would much rather be on deck crew. And I emailed you and I said, I don't know how to do flight crew. I've never done it before. So I'm going to say, if you need me on flight crew, I can do it. Otherwise, I would much rather prefer being on deck crew because I know how to do that. And you responded with, well, I need more help on flight crew. So, <laughs> so you don't get to choose. You are now doing flight <laughs> <yeah>. crew. <laughs> and, and my stomach dropped and I said, oh my gosh, this is going to be work. I don't know how to do this. I'm so scared. And I got there and we did training and it's... Yes, it's something new, but you can't be scared of learning something new. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's something that's the mindset you have to have going into stage management. You never know what you're going to do. Exactly. I have to say I how many shows have I done in the past 15 years? Every time I show up to a new company, so my first day at the company, which is usually prep week, and my first day of rehearsal, I still get such bad butterflies in my stomach that I like can't eat anything. I'm like walking to the venue two and a half weeks ago ready for my first day of rehearsal. And I'm just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't eat. My stomach's upset. My husband's like, why? Every single time. <laughs> I don't know what I got myself into. Why am I here? I can't do this. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing this for like years, you know? But Well, I'm glad to know that it wasn't just me. I'm glad to know that it's something oh, no, that it's everyone. Very, very seasoned stage managers go through because this is my first contract, my first big contract, my first out-of-state contract. And I didn't even know if this was legit because <laughs> I sent it in a It still might not be legit. You still don't know what's going on. <laughs> one day and two days later, I had a contract and a flight. I had housing. <laughs> I had a rental car. And I thought to myself, am I going to show up and they're going to say, welcome to Omaha. This is our little janky little place that you have. Ha ha ha. We tricked you. <laughs> sucker. Yeah, you sucker. We tricked you into getting here. So I was so scared that it wasn't going to be something real because it just seemed too good to be true. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to expect in that aspect. But also the last job that I had because I, the last year I've been in and out of surgeries because I'm diabetic and it affected my vision. And because of that, I had multiple, I had four surgeries on my eyes to restore my vision because my vision was fading, which was very scary. So I thought, you know, I'm never going to be able to have another job. I'm going to go blind. And so all of that was happening. So I was, the last stage management gig I did was actually in June, 2017. Um, so that's almost a year ago. 
And I only got that gig because somebody asked somebody that I knew, hey, I need an, I need an ASM for a show immediately. Do you know anybody? And so that was Holly, Holly Alborn, who was the director of production at Long Beach Opera. She reached out to Darlene and Darlene said, um, you can try Anthony because I don't think he has a contract right now. And she reached out to me and I said, yes, yes, please. Yes. I love this. Let me do it. <laughs> and at that point I was, somebody else's reputation was on the line. Somebody else recommended me for a job and said he can do it. Choose oh. him. And so at that point, the right. heat was on. I'm not about to let somebody else right. down. If somebody else recommends me, if I get a job based off of just my resume, that's one thing. If I don't, if I don't meet those standards, that's my fault. But if somebody else recommends me, I feel like their reputation is on the line. So it means so much more to me yeah. when I get a job based off of somebody else's recommendation. Right. Now you really so, have to like step up. And yeah. Then. And so from that, I realized, oh man, this is really something that I can do outside of just singing because I had just finished my master's degree in vocal performance. And then a month later, I get a call about a stage management job and I do it. And then once I started getting all of my surgeries, all of my audition material was so rusty and I was unemployed for so long. I couldn't afford coachings. I couldn't afford voice lessons. So it was, it just took so much more time and effort and money that I didn't have in order to get back into performance. Whereas technical theater jobs or stage management jobs, all I had to do was send in a resume. <laughs> right. And then and, prove yourself once you show up. Yeah. And then prove myself once I showed up. And so coming here, I was so scared because I, it's been almost a year since I've done a stage management job. And so I thought to myself, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. And I spent maybe the first week here doubting myself, thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm a fraud and they're going to send me home. What am I going to do? <laughs> What's oh really gosh. true is they're like, oh, thank God we filled the position. Somebody else can deal with this now. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably exactly what they're thinking. Because that's what I thought during Little Mermaid. I was like, I have so many crew positions to fill. I need people. Anthony says he's not busy. Perfect. Put him in there. Yeah. But the thing that I have found is that when when I need to step up to the plate, I do. And so being here, there were many times where I felt inadequate. And yes, I did have to ask questions. So did I. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not something that, it's not something new in this field. When you go into a new place with a new company, with new people, you ask questions. You're not going to know every answer, but you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And there were many things that they're like, okay, so since you're the, the production assistant, you know all the paperwork you have to do, right? And I thought to myself, well, new company, new position, what paperwork would you expect me to have? <laughs> and they were very nice. And I let them know the situation. I didn't lie to them and say, I'm the most experienced stage manager in all the world and I can do everything. No, I let them know this is still fairly new to me. And they said oh, well, you need to be in charge of this, 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 and this. And I said, perfect. As long as I know what I'm in charge of, I can do it. And I may have used my um, my phone a friend a couple times. And <laughs> uh, Cindy and I they, still call each other or text on a regular basis, being like, uh, I need 
Like, I call all the time and I'm like, hey, apparently now I'm creating a who, what, where. Send me your format. <laughs> yeah, so they said, oh, Anthony, you have to make all of the first, en- or you have to make the first entrance timing sheet. And I quickly, I just say, yes, done. I got it. And then I immediately went out to Google and started typing in um, opera, first entrance timing sheet, <laughs> PDF, template, all these uh-huh. different words. And things came up, and so I gathered all of my my research, and I decided I saw these 100 different templates for a first entrance timing sheet. Let me create my own. So I create my own. I take a picture of it, and I text it to Cindy, and I say, <laughs> Cindy, so if somebody were going to make a first entrance timing sheet, would it look something like this? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yep, that's it. You have all the information you need. Perfect. And that's what you that's just what you do in stage management. Stage management is literally just creative problem solving. That's so true. Yeah, if you don't know how to do something, it doesn't matter. You make it happen. There the last show that I worked on with Long Beach Opera was Frida. And this was in the transition where Long Beach Opera was changing from their main base in one location. Um, they were actually going to tear the building down immediately after that. that and they show. just started tearing it down. They yeah. just started this week, I think, or last week. And so they were like, we're going to tear this building down. So you have to consolidate anything that you have for this company into one room and move it to another location very soon. So with the team that I was working with, I was the assistant stage manager. And so the stage manager, Cressa, who was completely wonderful and she was so helpful with guiding me on that show since I was very rusty from my last job. Um, But she had her own job. And so anytime he was like, I need this. I'm like, awesome. Do we have that? He said, no. I need you to go into this storage unit that is not organized because we threw everything in there and make it work. And we're talking about an opera about Frida Kahlo. Do you know how many different things I had to make? <laughs> for like props and stuff? For props. There was a scene where he said, uh, I need antlers. I said, do we have antlers? He says, no. I need antlers. I didn't ask any more questions. He said, we don't have it. He said he needs antlers. I said, okay. <laughs> and that's the attitude you have to have in stage management. Okay. And yes, you're going to pull your hair out going crazy thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to make antlers? All I have is styrofoam and tape. (laughs) And you know how many props and stuff are built out of that? Exactly. And sure enough, what did he get? He got some foam core poster board. I roughly sketched out the shape of antlers. I took, I found um, a box cutter and I cut out the foam core (laughs) in the shape of what I just drew out of antlers, I took some gaff tape and taped it around the base of it for handles because somebody was going to have to hold them around Frida Kahlo's head and walk around while she's pretending to be a deer. And that was at the beginning of the the whole rehearsal process of staging. That was the final product <laughs> that we used in the actual show. It's just that they added paint. See, now you're a prop person. Good job. Exactly. And I added that to my resume. On my resume, it says creative prop creation. <laughs> it's so <laughs> true. I know a lot of stage managers that are like pros at creating props out of paper. 
So like every single thing, rehearsal props on stage is just paper that we like pull out of our binders and like fold up and make different things. Yeah. That's what you have to do when you don't have anything else handy. Yeah. And I know that stage management is part of the production team, but it's really part of the production as well as the creative uh, it's team. Totally. This is a discussion that uh, some stage managers have all the time. Yeah. Especially the, the piece that I'm doing now, because it's so... I mean, like half of my cues, I was literally told to feel where the cues go because a lot of the music is improvised. Yeah. So it's like, it is a design decision. Like I'm designing where these cues are going based on how I'm feeling the music at the time, you know? So it's a discussion yeah, I've, we have with stage managers often. I've always felt, I mean, I don't usually separate between design and production team. My separation is like production team. Then the crew is on one side and the actors are on the other side. Because stage management has to deal with all of them, and the technical director or somewhat has to deal with all of them, and the prop designer has to deal, you know, with all of them. The crew and actors don't really have to deal with each other until they get to the stage, but it's the top people overseeing both sides. You do have to be creative, but you do also have to be the managerial paperwork and resume gathering yeah. and scheduling and prop building or finding someone to build the props or finding the money to build the props. Uh, so yeah, it's very much dealing with both sides and having to be like two halves of the brain. <laughs> yeah. And I've done, I've actually done interviews. Actually, there was an interview that I did a few weeks ago for a position in Santa Barbara. And one of the questions she asked is what is your favorite position on the production team hmm. and I said that's a tough question because it doesn't matter what position I've been in I've kind of had to just do everything so mm -hmm. there was never a position that I had that I could say that's not my job mm -hmm. and I think that also comes with me um, getting jobs that I felt like maybe I wasn't 100% qualified for I think but it's also I had like two to... companies because Long Beach is very much a like group. Everyone does yeah. everything. Yeah, there's yeah. not like you are the stage manager. You are, you know. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of what has blurred the lines. Yeah. So for that question, for her to ask me what what position do I like the most as far as the production team, or like which one do I like to perform in? I I think because of my training and my experience in stage management because of my specific experiences I don't think that that was a question that I could exactly mm -hmm. answer the way that they were expecting because I really just told them you know I've never had a position where I was only in charge of one thing anytime I've had a position I dabbled everywhere so I said whichever position requires me to know how to do everything that's the position that I enjoy because it's the only <laughs> the only position I've had. And it, it also – that really is the way that I like it because if I know how to do everything, I'm a more reliable person. Mm -hmm. And that means that if somebody needs something, I love taking the stress off of other people. If I can make somebody's life better and easier and smoother, I'm there. That was, so, that was me today. I like went out and bought candy for a crew that I've never even met before because I know they've had a really bad couple weeks. <laughs> Exactly. And I walked up with like bags of candy and handed it to them. And they're like, what, what, where did you, you're not even on this show. <laughs> and I was like, but I just made you smile. Here you go. Take the candy. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's a quality that 
is so much appreciated in a stage manager, in yeah. a stage manager, assistant stage manager, in anybody that works in theater. If you can just be hyper aware of of other people, that makes everything so much easier. Yeah, I mean, even as noticed? even as TD, um, and I go into other shows, like for Little Mermaid, I wasn't the TD for the show. I helped find the crew, and then I was in charge of the red carpet out front. But every day I was backstage being like, hey, crew, what's going on? There's Chiro's in the front. Want to go, want a Chiro? But I wasn't, I didn't need to be backstage, but I still checked in, made sure everything was okay, went upstairs and checked on costumes, took pictures, was like, anything exciting going on? I'm bored in the house. Uh, Just because, (laughs) yeah, yeah, just because I was like, oh, we need help doing something. Like at one point during uh, Little Mermaid, they the stage manager it was close to the end of the day and it was like final dress rehearsal or something and the stage manager said great get out of mics and costumes and five minutes later the sound person said what we have to record things they need to get back in caught in microphones of course by then the a2 had already stripped half of the actors out of their microphones and they're like i don't have time to put microphones back on everybody and they said well we we have 30 minutes left of rehearsal so i ran backstage and i said I can put microphones on people. And she had no idea who I was. And she was like, okay, great. And so people would walk up and I'd be like, what's your name? Perfect. Here's your microphone. Here's your pack. Here's new tape. Go. And we were just throwing microphones back on people, you know, not taping them down and all. But, and she was like, oh, thanks. I didn't, you didn't have to do that. I was like, what else was I doing? Like, they needed microphones. I know how to put microphones on. Done. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's something that I really appreciated about being on the production team or being an ASM or a PA is that I can be helpful and I like to be helpful. And yes, I do. I do have different, um, different feelings being on the performance side or being on the production side. Whereas as a performer after the performance, Oh, you were so good. And like you get, you get, validation and praise from from other people like you sounded so beautiful oh I loved the way that you did this or you did that and I get that satisfaction from being a performer I don't always get that on the production side and it was something it was kind of like a a spoiled mindset for me like I'm expecting somebody to tell me I did a good job and on the production side you don't always get that and what I have found um, is that on the production side your validation needs to come from from within. Mm-hmm. That sounds kind of like tacky and like No, it's it's like, true. You know that you did a good job or you know if you messed yeah. something up. Like you don't and need, you don't to tell need you somebody to tell you you did a really good job on giving that cue. No, you know that you did a good job on that <laughs> yes, cue. Yes. That's what I said. I don't need you to congratulate me. Mm-hmm. I know I did a good job because that show looked fucking awesome when yeah, I called it. Exactly. I don't need you to tell me that. But that was something that I didn't understand when I got into stage management. I was waiting for somebody to come up to me and tell me you did a good job or compliment me on something that I did. Mm-hmm. And you didn't you don't get that all the time. Sometimes you do. You'll get people coming backstage, oh my gosh, I you did that. That was awesome. But it doesn't happen very often. It's very much so you have to have your own inner self-satisfaction, I guess. Is yeah. that how you could say it? Yeah. You yeah. You just you have to know that while other people may not notice what you did, you know that 
they just complimented somebody on something that they did on stage, but you know that the only reason that that happened was because you did your job. Mm-hmm. Very and it, it was something that I understood at first and it was something I struggled with. And I thought maybe this isn't for me because it doesn't feel right. But then I realized, no, I, I did a good job and I don't need them to tell me because they just congratulated them on getting to this position at just the right moment. But you know that the reason they got there was because I you told did them your job. <laughs> you did your job right. Yeah. And it, it of course it happens backstage and even on this show, um, the so the stage manager on this show, she is supposed to throw a cue to one of the actors because it's a very weird situation where the actor has to cross where the audience can see them, but the stage management team is not allowed to be seen. And so what happens is on one side I have to throw a cue for him to cross. And then on the other side, the stage manager has to throw another cue for him to enter. But then he exits again, and then he comes back to my side, and then I have to – he literally grabs a rotisserie chicken from my hand. And then I wait, and I give him another cue to cross, and then he gets one more cue to enter. So when we were still in dress rehearsals, she was still in the house. So she wasn't there to throw the cue because she was still in the house working with the lighting designer and um, all of the uh, the director and the AD. So she was still in the house. But I knew that my job was to make sure he gets his cues and not to be seen. And so it's probably about maybe two feet. That's the distance that I have to hide in order to cross with him. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm on the stage management team. My job is creative problem solution or resolution. <laughs> so you, nobody else saw it except for the actor. He's the only person that knew. And I had to do like an army crawl. So I'm standing there and I'm, I'm reading my music and it's really difficult music. Uh, contemporary music has a lot of meter changes. So I'm standing there and <laughs> yes, I'm like, does. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, four, stand by, go. And then I close my book and I grab on, because we have these little walkie-talkies with headsets. That's so so I close my book and I tuck in my, my little lights, grab onto the mic or the, the um, walkie, the walkie, and I'm slowly walking behind him. And so it's kind of like this. This is what the... It's like a V-shape? Yeah. It's oh, like the a back v- of your set? Yeah, the back yeah, of yeah. the set kind of looks like a V-shape. So I'm walking on this side, and I'm doing like that, The when you're behind a couch, you do the elevator oh, trick, where you're slowly going down. <laughs> so I give him his cue, and he's walking across very slowly in character. And so here I am just walking, going down lower and lower. And then, <laughs> then I get down to the floor, and I'm just army crawling <laughs> behind him. And With I, a book and, I, and light and a walkie-talkie. <laughs> then I get over there and then I get up and I'm like, okay, now let me flip through and figure out where we are. So I find the music. I'm like, okay, stand by. <laughs> <laughs> and then he enters, but then I have to get back to the other side of the stage because then I have to give him the next cue to cross. So then army crawl back over, get up, get this, this rotisserie chicken that he's supposed to carry on stage. And then he grabs it, and I say, all right, stand by, go. <laughs> Army crawl. I didn't know you had so much exercise in this show. Yeah. And so I, I had to do give one cue, Army crawl, give second cue, 
army crawl, give third cue, army crawl, give final cue, army crawl, because then I, I have to clear that side of the stage. <laughs> and it, nobody knew that I did that except for him. And he appreciated now, it. Yeah, and older me, beginning stage management me, would have been very upset that nobody knew that I had to army crawl that many times. And I would sit there pouting and thinking somebody should tell me that I did a good job. <laughs> but because I've done so many jobs at this point, I know that it's the self-satisfaction. I know that I did a good job. I didn't have to do that. I could have stayed over there and hoped that he could see me in the dark. Right. <laughs> throwing a cue. Yeah, that's probably what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> but because I, I was in the mindset of, this is a new company. I need to prove myself. I had to show that I'm willing to get down and dirty, get on this floor and army crawl and all this dirt and get over there to give him his cue. But still. But he never missed it, did he? He never missed it. He was always on time. He was always on time because there was a mysterious figure, a mysterious unknown figure that allowed him to enter at the right time. With and, a rotisserie chicken in hand. Yeah, with a rotisserie chicken. I mean, I was on the opposite side of the stage. I never saw him with a rotisserie chicken. Oh, no. I sat on the other side of the 70-foot stage when I watched the show, so I did not know there was a rotisserie chicken. When he he does a first entrance, comes off, yeah. and then he does a second entrance and sits down, and he's, yeah. he's eating a rotisserie That's chicken. That's what he has in his hand? Yeah, he's oh. eating, and it's a real rotisserie chicken that the, um, the props master goes to buy before the show. Side note, the Props Master is a Props Master for the whole festival. For the whole festival. Every single show. And she is phenomenal. Yeah. That is a huge job. And she has also done many things that were not listed in her job description. Yeah. As most production people do. I think part of the job description to work in this field is, is and other tasks assigned by management by anybody by, right not even <laughs> yeah someone tells you to do it you just do it you don't you don't complain that's not my job you just do it yeah i was talking to someone the other day and they were like well why are you doing that i was like well because they told me to and they were like but was it in your job description i was like what is in a job description the job description <laughs> says get this show up yeah and here's opening mm-hmm. night it has to be done by this point go Okay. Yeah. And that's why I've been very open to doing new things and that I think that's the main reason why I am now in stage management. I've just done like my job description has just morphed into so much more than what it started out as. And you know, having the my degree in music or getting my education in music, I was on a show with Long Beach Opera and the supertitles operator had to go to the hospital a few hours before the show started, before we had a show. And they said, you're the only one that can read music. You have to run super titles. And it was on, it was a double bill. Um, and the shows were written by, or one of the shows, I don't know if they were both were, one of them was written by Stuart Copeland. Oh yeah. Uh, Van Gogh and Telltale Heart. Yes. Yeah. And so, the supertitles operator got sick and had to go to the hospital and they're like, you're the only one that knows how to read music that's available. We need you to run supertitles. And I am scared to death because if there are, if there's ever a meter change or so many meter changes, it's going to be a piece written by a drummer. (laughs) Yeah. Of a rock band. Yes. And it was so scary. I was sweating bullets the entire time trying to keep track of where I am. And I'm like, 
this is why I have a degree in music. Because you can I'm, do this. Because I can do this. I'm going to use my degree. <laughs> and it was so scary, but I did it. Sure enough, I did another show with Long Beach Opera. They're like, hey, we need a super titles operator. I remember you stepped in and did this during this one show. Can you step in and do this Right, because you show? did super titles for, um, for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I did – they called me back to do more super titles. So my job my job description has never been one thing. Yeah. My job description has – what you said, Stacey, my job description has literally just been this is when we start. This is when the show needs to be done. Make it happen. Very true. Well, That's the description. <laughs> during <laughs> during Telltale Heart and Van Gogh, I, I was sleeping on a sleeping bag underneath the stage. Because we had to hand up props to people. But we couldn't yeah. get to the stage from where we were. So I was taking a nap during Act 1 so that I could hand props to people during Act 2. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, during the show they did a lot of projections. And mm -hmm. there was a projection screen where the actors on stage are supposed to either like pull it to roll it up and then pull it to roll it down while projections are going or turning off. And there was a point where one of the actors, uh, he was singing and he rolled up the, the screen and then it broke and Stacy and I were under the stage and there's this hole in the stage and I'm literally laying there just looking up yep. at everything that's going on. And I noticed that he's trying to let go of the string after he rolled up the screen, but the screen keeps dropping. And of course I'm like, okay, quick thinking. So here I go. I just stick my hand up with one finger <laughs> and I grab the string and I look, I look the actor in the eye to let him know it's okay <laughs> and i just and i'm sitting there holding it so my hand made a debut with long beach opera on stage just my finger, and i hold the string so he can continue the show and i turn to stacy i'm like stacy it's broken and i need to make sure this is propped up but i don't know if i should just hold it for the next hour or not and Stacy helps me fix it. She, I'm holding it, so she goes and she finds all the tools she needs without being seen while we're under this stage. Yep. And she comes back and she helps me fix it. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting show. I've never stayed under the stage for an entire show. Different view. I mean, we definitely got a different view from the little, like, four foot by four foot hole that we could see through because at one point they'd drop a dead body down. They do, yeah. They you you only do shows with dead bodies? Is that what I'm getting? Apparently. <laughs> apparently my thing is to just do shows that involve prop dead bodies. <laughs> Those are the best props, man. They don't cause you hardly any problems. They look so cool. They're great to sleep on. Professor might disagree with you. She had a hell of a time I hear doing making the dead bodies. Yeah, she had yeah. a lot of work to do because they were also very specific as to what they wanted. Um, she even had to do a mold of the act the the actresses or the actors that those bodies represent, they had to get their faces molded because they wanted to put a silicone mask of their faces on the actual prop bodies. Yep, I've had some prop bodies like that. It's super creepy looking when they're standing there next to their dead body. Holy it's, yeah. yeah it, it was super creepy because one of, creepy. The, one of the dolls has just a skull head. So it was a skull and they put... They put this woman's face on this skull and made it look like it was decaying. And it's just, it looks so good for what she did and like what was asked of her. It looks so good. But yes. And you could like, 
the way the audience is set up, you could literally walk up to the set and like touch the dead bodies at the end of the show. So you're like up close and personal. So oh, it's I not would even definitely like, poke at them. But but you're not even like thirty feet away on stage. Like I could literally walk up and like and I did because I knew what work she had done on it. And I'm like staring at the dead body doing like rock on Savannah. You killed this. It's like yeah. it was it was really cool. They she so killed cool. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it, she did an awesome job. So of course I have to check it out. Okay, well I want to taking pictures. Yeah, you need to take pictures and post them so everyone else can see their awesome <laughs> dead bodies. <laughs> And then Alec was like, no pictures. And I was like, you're just trying to get my attention right now. He was just kidding. He told me about that. He had a laugh. <laughs> he said, I saw Cindy taking pictures. And so I jumped out. And I said, ma'am, no pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, and I didn't, I totally forgot to prep you for this. I need to remember to email Geneva and Grayson about this. Because it's Twin Stop Theater, we always ask, do you have a twin story? It doesn't have to be theater related. Just like a story about twins. I mean, obviously, you now know Stacy and I. Is there any funny story of like, because you met us both kind of at the same time? No, no, we were both on Madam Butterfly. Well, three of us right. were on Madam Butterfly. You weren't but, there as often. Like, I was there every day. You were there, like, randomly for props. Yeah, true. Now, with this question, do you mean do I have a twin story with you two? No, just in general. Like, did you know any twins growing up? Do you have any funny stories where you got people confused or. One person Wait. told a story where they played a twin on stage for, uh, what's that Shakespeare show where it's about twins? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, just any twin story. Um, well, any twin story. My sisters are actually twins. My younger sisters. Oh, They're not right. identical. How did we never know that? Yeah, I don't See, know. See, everyone's always like, how do you not know that we're twins? And we're like, why would we tell you that? They're, why would you tell us that? Although, since I've been here... Um, since Cindy has never worked with anybody here, well, you worked with some people, but since you didn't really know everybody, right? Um, yeah, and I didn't really know people, but I'd be like, "Oh, do you know Cindy? She's the SM on the wreck." And they're like, "Oh no!" I'm like, "Oh yeah, well, her and her, her twin sister, like what? She's a twin?" I'm like, "Yeah, she's so a Anthony's twin." Anthony's just telling everybody about it. So I'm, giving, <laughs> I'm giving you guys a major plug here. Every time I'm like. Do you know Cindy? Do you know Cindy's a twin? Do you know Cindy and her twin? They run a podcast <laughs> called Twins Talk Theater. You should find them on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> nice. Anthony is hired. <laughs> but I'm always plugging it because I know I did network marketing. I currently still do network marketing low key. But it's so hard to spread the word about something that you're building. And That's so, true. so when I found out that you guys were doing this, I'm like, um, heck yeah. I'm going to be free advertising. I'm like, oh, by the way, you should check this out. <laughs> nice. Well, okay. I've so far. Actually, Ginevra, my assistant lighting designer, I was talking to Cricket, who we just interviewed, and we we're like, oh, yeah, we're doing this podcast tomorrow. And Ginevra's like, what? So, And Cricket was like, oh, yeah, Cindy and Stacey have this podcast. And Ginevra's like, I'm insulted. Why have I not been invited on this podcast? <laughs> and I was like, well, I was going to invite you. She was like, I'm insulted. Why Why have I not interviewed yet? And Cricket's like, it took two months to interview me. I was like, come down, yeah. Ginevra. We'll get it. We'll get yeah. it. Well, Cricket yeah. also doesn't stay in one place long enough. I mean, I did Allegiance with her. And then she, what, did two other jobs between Allegiance and uh, Omaha? And won yeah. an award in New York. And so it's like, well, it's really... Talk about stage management and scheduling. You know how hard it is to schedule three theater people at the same time across the country to sit down for an hour? Near impossible. 
we probably yeah i was saying to grace and i think today i was like we probably have at least one third of the people we have scheduled for interviews cancel so that's why we try to do because even anthony was asking me he was like do you guys do them all at once or what and i was like we just do them whenever we can do them because (laughs) we already had two people cancel this week yeah but i've had to cancel because i'm like well I thought tech would, week would be smooth, but apparently not. So I'm not going to be home in time. And you've had to cancel because, you know, computers got left somewhere or no internet reception in whatever hotel room you're at. or So, yeah, it's it's hard to get people together. And so trust me, everybody, we have a list about a thousand people that we want to have on the podcast. <laughs> and and, it, and the list just keeps growing. I feel like it's not getting any smaller. Because every oh, time we do a new show, we add people. And yeah. then you do a festival and you meet like, 60 people yeah i think my my facebook friends list has taken a yeah it's doubled (laughs) since doing this because i'm working with so many people and i'm working with so many people that i just met that i'm going to be working with in the future yeah i actually just found out today that i got hired to work on a show where i'm going to be the asm on a show that's being directed by the person who's directing proving up right now which i'm working on Nice. Where's that going to be? In Philadelphia. Yeah, who she's working on a show in September. So can you announce? Do you have a contract? Can you announce? What's the next show that you're doing, then, Anthony? So the next show that I'll be working on, it's actually with Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara. They do a summer festival, and they're going to be doing. I will be. There's two ASMs, and the ASMs will be functioning as the main SMs on a scenes program as well as trouble in tahiti it's a big piece right now yeah so i will be one of the asms working on oh they're doing marriage of figaro that's the culmination of the whole program so i'll be the asm on marriage of figaro but then each of the asms will get assigned as the main asm on either trouble in tahiti or the scenes program and what is is james doing all of them or Uh, i believe James, I believe, not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that he is doing, he's going to be directing the scenes program as well as Marriage of Figaro, if I'm not mistaken. If anybody that works with this company or if anybody that is hiring me for this company right now is listening to this, do not quote me on that. (laughs) But James will be there. But James will be there, and I'm so excited because it's nice when you get to work with a director and – That you you, already know. Yeah, you already know them. You know their style, so you know what to expect. It's not going to be something surprising. So my twin story is just that I do have uh, younger twin sisters. So I have an older brother. It actually kind of correlates with proving up. Improving up, there's an older brother who's uh, who is, does bad things. Uh, we're not going to go into detail with that, but that's my older brother. And then I'm technically <laughs> the middle because then I have two younger twin sisters. And that's the same in Proving Up. There's two younger sisters. There's a middle child, technically, <laughs> and then an older brother. So you're Miles? So I'm technically Miles. I do walk around with my... My little, your little pig with my little pig watering can, and I talk to it. <laughs> Excellent, that's good. Good. Spoiler alert: that happens in the show. <laughs> if you'd like to go see it, it is going to New York in September. Yeah. Oh, that's Very cool. True. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I'm still trying to get it in on that show, so we'll see. You I've go stay with Twin. <laughs> I'll be in Philly at the time. She'll oh, be yeah. in Philly, so I'll, I will get the couch. The couch. <laughs> I've slept on the couch. <laughs> it's nice. Couch or. Or her husband is going to get a roommate. <laughs> He's never home anyway, so it's fine. 
I will probably never be home either. So <laughs> yeah. So it'll be like Cindy's there. Perfect. You just cross paths yeah. once in a while. It'll be like nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we've uh, we're over the hour. My puppy needs to wander around. He's tired of being locked up. So uh, thank you, Anthony, for for being on the podcast. I'm sure our paths were crossed plenty more times as we've done. What the, this is the fourth company that you've been with me or Cindy in. So good job. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. I was so happy that I got the invite to be on here. I didn't think that I was qualified for a podcast. I, I, didn't, I didn't think I was qualified to be on this podcast because I've seen the other people you guys have interviewed. So I'm well, very cr- honored. Cricket's intimidating. I agree with that. <laughs> well, Cricket is intimidating. Yeah. But like Cindy and I are qualified to even do a podcast. What the hell? <laughs> We're not even sound people. That's the name of the game out here. You never exactly. know if you're qualified. So you just do it. And then by the time you're done with it, you're qualified. You're pros. Yeah. We've got 30-something podcast out. Yay. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. You guys have fun on the rest of your shows. And I expect more pictures of dead bodies. That's Anthony's job. <laughs> okay, okay perfect. Sure <laughs> thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.